Welcome to our podcast at Oxford Vineyard Church. This episode features a conversation between our teaching team about our current series, The Kingdom Story. For more information or to connect with us, check us out at OxfordVineyard.com. Well, I'm really excited about this. This is, this is going to be fun, this, yeah. this uh, podcast uh, to intro our series on uh, The Kingdom Story. And uh, so this is really fun. My name's John Richter, and we have Debbie Anderson and Josh Jones. Parker Fry is here with us, and um, we're going to answer all your questions. All oh, every, every question you've ever question had. that you could ever have, <laughs> right? Exactly. And so, um, yeah, we're going to be talking about basically kingdom theology, and th- this is really significant. And it's, it's something that I, I believe every believer needs to wrestle with and figure out and establish because all of us, what we want to have is a, we want to think like Jesus. <laughs> really, that's what we're called. We're, not a, we're, we're called to think like him, and to, if we're called to live like him, we also need to learn how to think like him and see life and see the world around us like Jesus did. And that's basically what kingdom theology does. And so I'm really excited about that. You know, when we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about, a lot of times we think of, oh, it's like a place, <laughs> it's, a, it's a, you know, a location or something like that. But when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the rule and reign of God. That's right. And, you know, Jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're really, we're talking, heaven is his rule and reign, and that rule and reign invading our space, invading this, this, this world that we experience around that. So with that, I'm going to um, ask Parker to give us a brief history on kingdom theology. Yeah, well, I think that's uh, an important idea to lead in with, because that's kind of the idea that the kingdom of God is God's activity in the earth, is the thing that's really at the center of kingdom theology. And everything that we talk about, we talk about kingdom theology, we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that idea is at the very center. And for some people, it might be a total surprise that the vineyard actually uh, organizes itself around a structured approach to theology. <laughs> because I feel like we, we want to be, be talking about the main and the plain. We talk about the things that Jesus talked about and the things that he did. And we have a tendency to want to be, you know, cool, laid-back vineyard people, right? So we don't talk about our theology really openly all the time. But the truth is, uh, this, this theological idea of the kingdom of God... Is, is actually a really thoroughly thought out thing that people have been thinking and talking and writing about and practicing for thousands of years now, since, since Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, right? Yeah. And so we just wanted to kind of lead in with a little history of that idea and where it's come from. And it's not a new idea. It's not something that was just cooked up in the last 50 years. This idea of kingdom theology has its roots in the writing and teaching of the early church fathers, the apostles of Jesus, all throughout church history. Martin Luther wrote about the kingdom of God in ways that reflect things that we talk about with respect to the kingdom. Um, And the the term kingdom theology actually came about uh, within the last hundred years, but its ideas are very, very old and very orthodox. And one of the ways that I like to think about it is that kingdom theology is kind of the best of the evangelical, uh, Pentecostal, and Eastern Orthodox traditions pulled together in one system of thinking about the Bible and about Jesus and his teaching. So 
there was a guy, uh, his name was Geerdhaus Voss, and he lived, uh, he was born in Holland. He came to the States in the early 1900s, 19-teens, 1920s, and he taught in seminaries here in, in the United States, and he was the first one to kind of teach on this idea of the now and the not yet. Mm. And so at this point in the series, you've, you've heard, by the time this podcast is coming out, you've heard those terms in our messages, and you've read them in the devotional that you have, the daily devotional. And so basically what, what he said was that the kingdom of God, the rule and reign, the activity of God, it's, it's now, we're seeing it happen, but it's also not yet. There's a future reality about the kingdom that we haven't realized yet. And so a few decades after Voss, there was another theologian. His name was George Eldon Ladd, and he taught at Fuller Theological Seminary, same place where John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, taught. And he really expanded on this idea of the kingdom of God as a, an organizing principle for how we think about Jesus and how we think about church and how we think about demonstrating the, the kingdom. And he wrote a really convenient short book called The Gospel of the Kingdom. There are several copies on the church bookshelf. So after you listen to this podcast, come get one and read it because Ladd has some really well thought out ways of explaining the kingdom. And I'm sure that we'll mention several of them in this conversation. So after Ladd, Wimber thinks a lot about the kingdom and uh, other theologians. There's a guy named Gordon Fee who has done some really awesome writing on the Bible and uh, thinking about the kingdom and his writing is really accessible. It's really easy to read. And even people like N.T. Wright, who's widely considered to be one of the greatest living theologians, has done a lot of work on this idea of the gospel of the kingdom and the now and the not yet and the theology of the kingdom. So it has a rich history and it's a tradition that's been handed down to us over the course of the whole history of the church. So That's so good. Yeah, so don't don't believe that this is like new stuff. Right. It's very, very old. <laughs> One thing I'm going to add is, is that, you know, this, this can mess with our brains a little bit. I mean, there might be some things as we go through kingdom theology and the kingdom story, you know what I mean? It, 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 it might really challenge our worldviews. Let me just say it, how we perceive ourselves, how we see God, and how we see the world around us and the events that take place there. And so, you know, let's just, let's just go on this journey together. Let me say, let's say it. we're all at different places. And so, you know, there's going to be a lot of grace for you as you go through this. We're not expecting everyone just to just like, you know, grasp this right away and, and, and uh, you know, jump all into it. But um, so anyway, so just, just be open. That's what I would ask you to do is, is be open and uh, read, the, read the verses that we share. And I think it will, it will have a huge impact on your life as you open up and allow Holy Spirit to speak to you. So, so with that, I'd like to, I'm going to uh, go to Debbie now and... Um, I want you to answer the question, why is teaching and learning on the kingdom and this kingdom story, kingdom theology, why is that so important? Well, thanks, John, for asking that. I am so excited. I'm so excited to be studying this because it's important to God. It's important to Jesus, so much so that he said in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's important, and it's important for us to grasp and understand. I think a lot of people come into Christianity and they stop at salvation. Hmm. They find Jesus, who he described himself as a door. They come into the door and they stand in the doorway for the rest of their lives. 
But there's so much beyond the door. What is beyond the door but the kingdom? The kingdom of God so good. lies behind the doorway of Jesus. And I think of it in a couple of ways. It's like, what if you bought a brand new car? Just picture that. And you get a lifetime warranty for repairs and service. Is that not great or what? Right. So I feel like people that stand in the doorway, they buy the car, but they don't cash in on the lifetime warranty. The kingdom of God is the whole package of who Father God is. And we need to utilize that. That's our warranty for a lifetime. So I feel like we need to bring that in. But the kingdom of God isn't just for us. The kingdom of God is also to extend the kingdom of God. And how do we extend the kingdom of God? We extend it by knowing his heart. That's what Jesus did. Everything Jesus did, he said, I do what I see the Father doing. So we want to open our eyes in this series to see what is the Father doing. So we have the disciples who were fishermen and all kinds of people, and they spent time with Jesus. What happened between the beginning of the disciples' walk with Jesus and the end? Mm. It was the kingdom of God. Yeah, and they were totally different. Yes, it changed them. It changed them from common men to sounding, when they spoke, as learned men. It changed them from people that were living day to day, paycheck to paycheck, if you will, to people of purpose, intention, integrity, um, people with a drive and a mission. So I'm excited to study the kingdom of God for these reasons, what God has for us and what he will, how he will utilize us in extending his kingdom. Right. That's, That's so, so well said. I love that so yeah. much. Can I just throw another, just a little thing Please, in on I top w- of that? I would love you to do that. What I hear in everything that you just said, Debbie, is, is that this idea of discipleship, you didn't use that word specifically, but discipleship is at the center of having a, a kingdom lens hmm. and a kingdom perspective on what it looks like to be followers of Jesus. And, you know, so, so much of the church is hyper-focused on, you know, you, you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then you are you know, saved and you get to go to heaven. But understanding the kingdom is like this project of lifelong, you know, unraveling of the beauty and the depth and the goodness of the kingdom of God and opening us up to new points of view and new perspectives and ideas, curiosity about the world and about who God is. And um, I love that because it's, it's an adventure and it's a lifelong story more than it's just accepting a set of rules and a set of principles for your life and, and then moving on from there. Yeah, that's so good. Awesome. Well, um, with that, I'm going to ask Josh, I'm going to point this next question at Josh, and uh, I want to dive into this, one of the aspects or one of the big question marks that, that the kingdom, uh, the kingdom theology and the kingdom story uh, gives us is really kind of answering some, some difficult questions around the sovereignty of God. You know, we, we hear that, you know, God's in control of everything, you know, and um, this must happen, must have happened for a reason, you know, and the, these kind of phrases that we hear all the time. Um, 
and you know that God's in control of both good and evil, and um, that our lives are predestined. So, what does what does the Bible teach us about the sovereignty of God? Yeah, uh, it's very complex. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't have good. enough time on the uh, podcast to scratch the surface, but but just to frame it up, it is the sovereignty of God is a very complex thing, and I think for me discovering just what the impact of kingdom and theology has had on my life, that change in, in understanding. I grew up with a lot, of, a, a lot of different church backgrounds and a lot of different ministries and a lot of different theologies and eschatologies, and, and coming to this place of, of really, I don't know what I believe about God and being upset at some things and hurt by other things, and then, and then coming back to the Lord and saying, I want, I want truth, I want who you really are. And then, and then seeing God through the lens of kingdom theology and understanding and experiencing the truth of that changed me so much, and especially about these kind of questions, about the sovereignty of God and what that looks like and what that means and, and discovering that, you know, we can make, make God a long list of rules and all these do's and don'ts and... Hmm. and, and uh, you know, so good things happen to us or bad things happen if we break the rules and all these different things. The reality is that it's all relational. It's all out of love. And so, so at the very core, God's essence is love, and he's good. Mm-hmm. And so the simple reality is that he's good. And so we, we hold on to this reality that he, he's good, and there's no darkness in him. And he doesn't use the enemy's means to get what he wants. That's good. And, and the, so- the sovereignty of God is a complex thing, and, and the, there's a tension between those two things and, and, and understanding and unpacking that, that because of love, because of relationship, and God's desire to have a partner for Jesus, you know, for f- he gave his authority to humanity in creation. Right. It made them in this image and likeness and then gave them this authority to on the earth to to give definition and, and and bring the heavenly realm and the earthly realm closer together. And they overlap in the garden. And we see this. God gives that authority away and then that's and then unfortunately that's hijacked by the enemy. And the humanity, humanity gives the God-given authority over to the enemy. It becomes subject to the enemy. And that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't his will or his purpose or his design or desire. But because of love, he limited himself by giving that authority to humanity and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to operate under these confinements of this relationship we've set up here. To violate that relationship would be breaking love. It would be violating love. And so he... He confines his awesome all-powerness, you know, unending power to, to, to these guardrails of relationship that he, he set up. And so it gets, it gets complicated, and the enemy tries to put everything that he does on God. That's like one of his biggest things, and gets humanity to question the goodness of God. And gets, you know, that's the, the original uh, uh, deceit in the garden. is like, is God really as good as he says he is? That's good. I but love it's, that. it's simple. He is good. So we don't need to question that. But understanding the complexities of sovereignty and, and how he is sovereign to what he says he will do. 
he will do the things that he says he will do. And so yeah. we can unpack that more, and we right. will have, have unpacked that more even yeah. by this point. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about that forever, but just the thing that, that I always think about when I think about this question is the writers of the scriptures present God's goodness very simply all throughout the Bible, from beginning to end. It's constantly that the Lord is good, he's faithful, he's, you know, he loves his people. And, and then we have dozens, hundreds of pictures, prophetic visions, parables about how God works or the sovereignty of God because it is so complex. You know, like we need all these pictures and we need to collect them together and see the kaleidoscope of the, the whole picture of the Bible that the biblical authors are presenting to us to even begin to understand God's sovereignty and how he works in the earth because it's so much more complex than his love and his goodness toward creation. Yeah, that's really good. And I, I love just to look at Jesus. And I was reading through a lot of the kingdom parables preparing for this series. And it's just so interesting. You have, like so many of the parables, they start off and, and you have this person that is symbolic of God. You know, a master comes and he has this, this uh, vineyard and then he and he gives it away to these, you know, servants, and he says, take care, you know, these managers to take care of it, and then he goes away, you know what I mean? And it's like, again, what do we have there? We have this freedom. We have this God who's in control, and then he limits himself, and he, and he, and he gives his authority to the people, and he wants to partner with us in that. And in the midst of that, we have the freedom to choose between doing what he asks us to do and not asks us to do, you know what I mean? There's the parable of the, of the two sons, and one son, you know, says, hey, I'll go do it for you, and then he decides not to, and then the other son, again, again, this idea of freedom, that, we ha- that love requires freedom. Yeah. You know, I mean, that there, there's, a, there's no love without freedom, and so freedom is huge, and that there's this constant, you know, uh, picture that we have, and I think in, in all of those pictures as well, as you go through the parables of, that Jesus teaches us about the kingdom, we also see this amazing goodness of God, and how simple it is that God is good, you know, and I think like you said, the one thing I wanted to just pick up on that is, is that so many times we, God gets blamed for evil. It's like, I mean, and, and the Bible's really clear on this, you know. Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy, right? And he went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. I mean, there's so many scriptures pointing to this fact that God is good, right? He's not causing evil. He's not using evil to teach us lessons, you know I mean? That's not the character and the nature of God. But, but, you know what I mean, we, we, we blame, you know, Satan gets, uh, gets the good rap and God gets the bad rap, you know what I mean? And so, and our, and our, our whole society has, has that, you know what I mean? Like, hey, you know, this isn't, our insurance claims, I know that's kind of a fun one, but, you know, <laughs> this was an act of God, okay. <laughs> was it really, you know what I mean? So I, I think that that's, that's funny. So, yeah, so the goodness of God is, is simple. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the sovereignty of God is complex in nature. Go ahead, Demi. Um, I think some people get confused about the question, is God good? The question really is, is God trustworthy? Mm. Is he trustworthy? If he's trustworthy, then um, whatever happens, we accept. I think of Daniel and the lion's den, and their, their confidence was in God. No matter what their the outcome of their situation was, and I think that's good for us to settle as believers that God is trustworthy. 
God is good no matter what the situation looks like. We have to do that. That's an act of faith to do that. Um, they walked into the fiery furnace, and they didn't know if they were going to walk out or not, but they said, yet yeah, God is good, mm. basically. So I think we need to embrace that as believers and not, as John said, attribute every wrong thing that happens to God. Sometimes it is natural consequences, you know, that uh, bring calamity into our lives. But um, it's good to settle it. And I encourage people to even write down the day that they, we can write down the day maybe that we trusted the Lord as Savior. We could write down the day that we find him completely trustworthy in every situation. And knowing that hardships are still part of our journey, but it says the promise is that he'll walk with us through them. He'll be with us, not that they won't happen, but the aspect of him being trustworthy, is that a settled issue for everyone? That's awesome. That's good. So, you know, as as believers, I mean, when we talk about the gospel, as we've heard it, and many of us have heard this in our in our walks and have experienced this, but we've heard it, you know, well, Jesus died on the cross, right? So I'm forgiven, and now that I'm forgiven, as long as I believe in him, then I get to go to heaven, right? So talk to me a little bit about that, and I'm going to go back to Parker here and let you start us off in that discussion about, you know, is that all it is when, when we talk about the gospel of the kingdom, or is there more to it than that? Yes, that's it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, I like to, I was just thinking about this in terms of cooking. I love cooking. And when you make a sauce, like a pan sauce, you start with a high volume of liquid, a high volume of ingredients, and you reduce it down to a certain point where the sauce is the perfect consistency, the perfect flavor profile. You know, if there, if you used wine in the sauce, you've, you've, cooked off the alcohol and the wine, and you're just left with the flavor. And the gospel, when we think about the gospel, it's actually really complex. It encompasses a lot of things about God and a lot of things about us. So to say Jesus died on the cross for us to go to heaven, to say that's the gospel, it's like a badly over-reduced sauce. Your sauce, <laughs> it broke. It's separated. The, the flavors are off. It's not, it's not going to work anymore. You know, we, we want to be able to explain things to people concisely and quickly, but this is just grossly overreduced. Because what's happened here is we've removed a lot of elements of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that I think about when, when I hear this, Jesus died on the cross for us to go to heaven, if that is the whole gospel, none of Jesus' life mattered. It actually didn't matter that he lived life, that he, you know, performed miracles, that he had this amazing teaching that brought revelatory insight about the kingdom of God. None of that matters if the whole gospel is just that Jesus died on the cross for us to go to heaven. He could have, Herod could have succeeded, and Jesus could have been found and killed as an infant, but his blood, his sacrifice, would have accomplished everything that God had for him. The problem with that is that we have so much material in the prophets and, you know, in the Old Testament that foretells the life of Jesus and the works that he would do and the things that, that, you know, put on display, like the truth about God and the truth about 
humanity. And so when we say, you know, that Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom involves a whole lot more than just Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That's part of it. But one of the ways that I like to look at it is that the gospel of the kingdom is, is four-pronged. The gospel of the kingdom is for the forgiveness of sins. The gospel of the kingdom is for the empowerment to live in victory over sin. Wow. The gospel of the kingdom is for us to receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And the gospel of the kingdom is for the, the release, the setting free of captives. Wow. In, in both the, the very natural and real sense and in the spiritual sense. We're released from spiritual captivity. So, you know, you guys just jump in on that. I mean, if you've got thoughts about, like, those four things and the fullness of the gospel that Jesus preaches. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Josh, you want to yeah. pick up on that? Sure. Going back to that, <clears throat> does that, that deception of God's not good and, and then the handing over... When, when, when humanity bought that lie, there was a breakdown in, a, in their relationship, and the the trust of God mm-hmm. was kind of, people trusting God. It was, it was questioned. It was broken, and so then we see this marring happen to the very core of what it means to be human. Right. That's good. And so the good news, the gospel is that God isn't abandoning humanity. He's fully engaging and bringing them back to, I am trustworthy. That's right. And I am for you, and I'm good, and I still want to be your partners. Wow. And so throughout all of the Old Testament is this promise again and again and again, and this working through a specific people group for the whole earth, but through a specific people group. And, and through these lenses of understanding there's a promise that God is doing something. He's turned towards us. He, he wants to be with us. And then Jesus comes on the scene and sets the thing straight. Here's the, here's the gospel of the kingdom. Wow. I am. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I am the gospel of the kingdom. Right. That's yeah. my main message. And I'm here now to initiate it, inaugurate it, to bring it in. And, and, and he had to come as a man in this relationship with humanity. It's... And as the king, it's, it's amazing. And, and, right. and so, you know, going through that, is, there's so many. So we, 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 we've reduced just Jesus died on the cross and I get to go to heaven. We've, that, that is good news. But, like, there's so many more elements and themes mm-hmm. and, and threads to the fullness mm-hmm. of the, king, the gospel of the kingdom. Right. Mm-hmm. I think with the gospel of the kingdom... You know, I mean, that perspective doesn't have an idea that God wants to break in now and do something now for my problems, for my situations, for my relationships, for my body, for my, you know, for my work, for my finances, whatever. You know what I mean? And and Jesus declared the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within Mm -hmm. reach. It's it's Mm -hmm. available to us. And that was really the primary message that he gave us, and I think, you know, the reality of that, but you know what I mean, in, in some of our limited Gospels, and I'm not, we're not trying to, we're just saying that it's not complete, or it's not full, mm-hmm. in terms of what Jesus died for. We want to live fully the lives that Jesus died for. He paid a huge price. That's right. Right? To get inside of us, for heaven to, to, to for us to be actually the kingdom of heaven within us, and then breaking out of us and touching others around us. And so we want to live in the fullness of that, not just in the, okay, I'm forgiven. 
Right. And if I can, too, really just quickly, I want to make a book recommendation. There's a, a lot of people are raised in churches where, you know, to become a member of this church or that church, you actually have to sign a statement that says this is the gospel. And so there could be people hearing this right now saying, I don't know. I feel like you're adding a lot to the gospel or you're saying something that's not really the, the gospel as it was taught to me. And so if that's something that you're really struggling with, there's an amazing book. It was written um, by a German theologian, kind of as the Nazis were rising to power in the, in the 1930s. His name is Gustav Aulen, and the book is called Christus Victor. And what that book does is it just unpacks these different ways of looking at the sacrifice of Jesus and what it means for us. And, and this guy was actually a huge influence on kingdom theology as we're talking about it. And it just gives us a wider picture of what the death of Jesus means, but also what the life of Jesus means and what the resurrection of Jesus means for the gospel. So, mm -hmm. so Christus Victor by Gustav Allen. Read it if you're, if you're struggling with this. And as we're talking, I love the interactions of Jesus with people in the New Testament. And every time, it's a broken person. They're broken with sin. They're broken. Their body is broken in some way. And Jesus comes and he brings wholeness to their body. He brings, he reminds them of their identity, their kingdom identity. He reminds them of their place. And he oftentimes in, in the interactions, he'll say, pick up your pallet and walk. He'll give them the one thing to do to re-enter into the wholeness of God. Uh, the one step to take that brings restoration. When I think of the kingdom of God, I think not only of restoration, but fullness. You, as you walk in the kingdom of God, you walk in fullness. And oftentimes the entry for that is the healing of brokenness. Yeah. So good. I love that part of his ministry. Yeah, to your point, Debbie, I mean, this is a little tongue-in-cheek, but if Jesus is really the truth about who God is, if he's the visible picture of the invisible God, and, and God was behind some of these things that sometimes we attribute to him, we would have seen Jesus at some point in the Gospels lay hands on someone and make them sick. That's true. Right? Yeah. At some point in the Gospels, if that's the way that God operated, we would have seen Jesus lay hands on someone and give them cancer or something like that. And obviously that sounds ridiculous to us, talking about it in this context. But we have to, we have to really think about, like, what, what, what do we see Jesus doing in the Gospels? How does he interact with people? And, and to your point, it's always bringing freedom, bringing healing, bringing the wholeness of, of the kingdom into their situations. That's so good. I want to pick up on something that Debbie said and, and kind of expand on it a little bit because a part of that kind of, I would say, limited Gospel of Jesus died on the cross for me, it usually starts with the concept that I'm a sinner, right? Sinner saved by grace kind of thing. And I want to kind of unpack that. You mentioned about kingdom identity. And, you know, yes, we all were sinners. But as a part of kingdom theology, we understand something different about who we were designed and made to be and what Jesus, who, you know, what Jesus did when he died on the cross for us and his intentions for us. So maybe, Josh, can you jump yeah. into that a little bit? So, so when that, that, that breakdown happened in the garden and humanity itself became broken and flawed. There was a, a change from being connected to the kingdom and, and understanding the heart and, the, and, and receiving just what the Father wanted to give us. There wasn't a, 
uh, thought of anything other than I'm just going to receive what the Father has and do what he tells me to do. But then when, when this questioning happened, when, this, when this, uh, this deception took over and it changed the way that humanity thought about God and themselves, then there became a lie, you know, along with that deception that they were lacking. And so to fill that lack, the enemy and humanity took his, gave shortcuts and took shortcuts to try to fill that thing which now was missing because they were not in that relationship that God had intended. And so that trying to fill that lack without God is missing the mark. It's sin. It's, it's this Good, thing. I and, love that. And so yeah. humanity was then defined by sinner. There's an identity word. It's a... It's, it's at the core, they had no other choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there wasn't a cho- like, we operated out of that place of lack and trying to fill lack without God. And so when Jesus came sinless, he wasn't lacking anything. He, and he knew that because of his relationship with the Father. And so through his death and resurrection, we are made the righteousness of God. That, that old man dies with Jesus. It goes on the cross with Jesus and dies in a new creation, born again, comes forth. And a new creation isn't a, identified by a sinner. It's by pure and spotless. Sons and, and daughters. Sons and God. daughters. Yeah. And so we're no longer defining ourselves by the word sinner. Now, we, yeah, there's still times we mess up. There's actually still times where we try to fill that lack through shortcuts. But our identity is in Jesus. It's no longer in those actions and that mindset anymore. Right. That's good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and I, and I want to pick up on one thing because one of the one of the things one of those identities that you just mentioned or that we we connect with in our old self is that we're victims, right? We can develop this victim mentality that I'm powerless, powerless in this situation, and even this concept of like, hey, I'm just kind of waiting. You know, I'm just, we're just hoping, Jesus, come back. Jesus, come back because I'm, I want to go to heaven because I'm powerless here. I don't have any power, and I'm, I'm a victim. And, and would love, expand on that. Maybe I want to turn to Debbie here and see. Could you just kind of unpack that a little for us with respect to what kingdom theology tre- teaches us about living victoriously? I think it's a part of renewing our minds. I think a lot of people... Um, visualize God as being distant or not caring 100% or 100% of the time. They see him as perhaps fickle or um, moody, perhaps, I don't know. Or if um, we do something good, then he's good to us. And if we blow it in some area, then we can expect the discipline of God. Uh, So you hear things like... um, I have a broken leg, and um, God just knew I needed time to uh, <laughs> to slow down, right? He to slow down, down and to be down. with Him. <laughs> well, I don't think that God broke His leg. I think His leg was broken because it was in a wrong place at the wrong time. So I think we have to watch our thinking. I was even caught by this this week. I was, my daughter was having surgery, and um, it was a routine surgery, nothing um, urgent about it or an emergency situation. I was just praying for, and I was praying, God, you know it's hard for me to um, 
trust her to you. And then I caught the words as soon as they came out of my mouth. I thought, I do not believe that. So I was catching myself in a lie. The lie was that God's not trustworthy. And I believe that I'm well loved by God and well cared for by him 100% all the time. So I thought, why on earth did I say that? And it was because it's a cultural thing. It's what you hear. It's a mindset. So I just said, forgive me, Lord. I believe you are 100% trustworthy, and I do entrust her. As a matter of fact, you are the only one that I can entrust her to. And so it it was a turnaround. It was good. I was thankful that the Holy Spirit showed me the air in my thinking and that it really wasn't where I was um, spiritually. But anyway, I think people, people have a wrong concept of the Father's heart. Yeah. And if they could confess that I am well loved by God, that will clear up a lot of issues. And he's constant. He's yeah. true. He's not fickle. Mm-hmm. Um, he is... 100% trustworthy. Yeah. And, and then we quit blaming him for evil and, and bad things, you know what I mean, these situations mm-hmm. in our life, and we get out of that realm. We know that there's a battle raging, right, that there is really an enemy, and he is after us, and he's fighting against us, and you know what I mean? And so we quit blaming him for these things and start look and running to him right? yes, because yes. of his goodness and mercy mm-hmm. in the midst to help us fight those battles and, and to to bring forth his kingdom in the midst of darkness and happening all around us. And I think there's a lot of bad news in our lives and that people become anxious and so forth because they're not attached or bonded to God Mm -hmm. in a way that has that constancy. So I'm not, as we say, putting anyone down with anxiety or depression. Those are real things to work through. I think often if you unpack that, there's, there's those little lies there where Satan wants to keep a believer at a distance from God and his goodness um, because of an untruth. So I think it's really good to address those in our lives and just be open for, you know, like me, for God to show you where, where you're saying something or praying something or doing something that is not really what you believe in your heart of hearts. Debbie, that's so good. I, I love that. That's love just that. such a great, like, that little story right there is such a fantastic example of what it means to take thoughts captive and renew your mind. Absolutely. I mean, just just a short, you know, short little thing that you saw it in the moment and the Holy Spirit was like, mm-hmm. Debbie, you know, you know that that's not the truth, <laughs> you well, know? And, and so it was right. like, yeah, you're right, it's not. And so, you know, this, as we go through this kingdom theology, we, one of the things that it's important for every believer is to learn how. We think of repentance as a one-time, okay, I repent and I believe in Jesus. Well, repentance, metanoia, means to change how we think, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so repentance needs to be a daily activity. It, that was repentance. You just gave us a really beautiful picture of what it looks like to repent. Yeah. And you repented and you said, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to agree with this lie of what I believe in this situation any longer. And I'm going to take hold of this truth. And, you know, that ultimately starts, hey, I'm, I'm not going to quit running away from Jesus. And I'm going to start believing in Jesus and living with him as the Lord of my life. But that goes for every little detail and every little aspect of our lives that we need to learn to identify lies and repent of those lies and any kind of agreement with them and turn 
and say, I want to agree with what Jesus says because I want to think like Jesus. I mean, that's what kingdom, kingdom living begins with learning how to think and, and act and move like Jesus, but it begins with thinking and perceiving life and circumstances like he did. You know, and a lot of times I, you know, this, this next one kind of flows in. I, you know, I struggled a lot with God is stingy. He only answers prayer through certain people. You know, some people have really cool connections with God and, and they work through him or that's their gifting or that's their anointing, you know. And I really struggled with that. I, I believe the lie that, you know, it's not the Father's good pleasure to give me the kingdom. And he might do it for Debbie, but he's not going to do it for me. And, and you know, I, I struggled with that for a long time. So I want to bring this question up. When I pray, I want to say this statement. When I pray, it never works. People are never healed. I must not be anointed. What should I do? Parker, I'm going to pin you on this one. Yeah, I, I just this is a great example of an area where we need to differentiate between like the general calling of every believer and some people's specific assignments in the church to to do things on a particular scale or to a certain degree. You know, there is a there is a a task given to every believer from the mouth of Jesus, directly from the mouth of Jesus, to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. And he commands all of his followers to do that in the New Testament. He gives it to the 12, he gives it to the 70, he, and, and beyond, right? Absolutely. And then we see the apostles repeating that command in, in the book of Acts and further on in the New Testament. And so it, it's, it becomes kind of a game of excuses. I mean, I don't really want to like, I don't want to make anybody feel bad because I understand, like, this is a hard thing to grapple with, but you're probably not called to be an itinerant healing minister. Odds are, if you're listening to this podcast, that's probably not the, the measure that is on your life. But you are absolutely called to fulfill that general calling that Jesus gives to all followers of, of him. And this is something that we, we grow in and we develop. It's a skill that, that we have the opportunity to partner with the Holy Spirit in. And, and that's why we run the School of Kingdom Ministry at the Vineyard, because it's such a great vehicle for participating in that work with Jesus and understanding what it looks like to grow in that. And so we have to differentiate between relationship with God and, and the things that he's asking all of us to participate in, and then these, these specific uh, measures or specific giftings that you know, we, we get caught up in a game of comparison. when oh, That's dangerous. Right. When really it's like, this is the work that he has for all of us to do, and we've got to figure out what it looks like for us to do it in our context, in, in our relationships, in, in the, right. the space that we occupy. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to jump in and just say, I, I think for this person who might feel this, right, because that could be somebody, and I, I know I've wrestled through this a little bit myself, is the thing that had the most impact on me when I started to embrace this kingdom that we're in this battle, right? That God's will is not always done. You know, that the enemy's some, in, a, in a battle, right? Sometimes there's winning and sometimes there's looting. There's the tension between the now and the not yet. And we're in this process of everything coming in underneath Jesus' feet. So anyway, so there's these battles that we win and lose and everything like that. The thing that, um, in the context of that, that really had an impact on me was when I started to get a hold of my identity, because it was really rooted and grounded in a lie. Like, I mean, that 
well, God loves them better more than me. You know, that God is a respecter of persons. The Bible clearly says that he's not a respecter of persons, that all of his sons and daughters he sees, he loves, right? He cannot love you more. He will not love you less, right? And so, um, you know what I mean? When I got a hold, I, the things that needed to change to see kingdom breakthrough was when I started to know, no, Holy Spirit lives inside of me. No, Holy Spirit wants to break out of me. He wants to heal. He wants to, you know, this is his will. This is his plan. This is his purpose. And I just need to learn how to partner with him in that. And the other, the other aspect, besides my identity as, a, as an ambassador of Christ, and as, as, that I'm actually called to walk in this, is that um, um, when it comes to not only that I'm, I'm an ambassador, but that I'm learning, too, as a son and daughter, how to do this. That there's, the, the, there's a learning curve. There's a learning process in this, and that we don't always get it right. right? I mean, this is a truly, it's a partnership. And, I, and as, when my partnership's strong and when I'm connected with Jesus and, and I can learn to recognize when he's working, right? He said, I, I only do what I see the Father doing. And when I, when I get good at recognizing, oh, Father's doing this, and then I can jump in there and start moving. And, and, the, and you know, there's, there's a learning curve and there's a learning process in this. Maybe, Josh, you can add some, you have some thoughts on that as well? Yeah, um, I think, yeah, the learning curve is super important. And we need to give ourselves grace totally. to, to, for the process. But at the same time, the gospel message, the gospel of the kingdom, is that the kingdom is coming, and it's coming, and it's, at, it's available, and it's, it's at hand, and it's the, the, the eternity future is breaking into right now. That's good. And that, that's been given to us to partner with God in doing and recognizing when God's doing that and when it's available and, and going after that and, and really settling the question of is it God's will to heal? Not only through me, but like you got to go back first and say, is it God's will to heal? Because that that question is is very much at the core of a lot of things, and and a lot of us are not settled on that true question. That's right. And so, before we can answer, is it God's will to heal through me? Is it God's will to heal? And so, the way that I found it, uh, a, a different perspective on that question is is it the Father, God, the Father's desire for Jesus to be king of everything? And the answer is yes. Yeah. And so that means for the human body and emotions and, and design that the Father wants to bring all of humanity under the lordship and kingship of Jesus and bring into alignment. And that is his will. And that's what he is working to do and is, has done and is working to do. And so healing is part of that. And so it is God's will to heal. What is he healing? How is he moving in the moment? That's learning to recognize what the Father's doing and where the Holy Spirit is. And as being born-again believers, that means we get to actually understand where the Holy Spirit's moving. Before, it's like the wind. We don't know which way it's coming or going. But those born of the Spirit can understand the Spirit and see him. But that's a skill that we learn. Right. And so many times when we don't see, we pray and we don't see it happen, there might be a skill to grow in of recognizing where the Holy Spirit's moving. That's good. Now, that's hard, you know, when we don't see it, and we've tried again and again. And my, my, my answer to that is just keep trying. Mm -hmm. Because before, before Jesus came, 
there was very limited healing. Hundreds of years in between, you know. But when Jesus came and inaugurated the kingdom, it, bam, again and again and again and again and again. The, the, the enemy's plans, the strongholds of the enemy was disrupted again and again. And it doesn't stop. It's continuing. It's available now and forever to break through. And so healing is available right now. And so we just keep pressing in, even though we haven't seen it yet. We press in even when we see disappointments, even when someone dies. We, but we still press in because it's available. And that's the promise, the good news. That's awesome. I, I like to think of it. Um, I, I, I did a study. I mean, when I, um, you know, this whole thing of the kingdom and healing and the breaking into the kingdom. And I, I studied this. I read a lot of books and a lot of different people who were really practicing and seeing healings and seeing things and the breaking into the kingdom. And almost in every story, if you, go, if you listen to their story, almost every person to the T talks about a time frame where they realized that, the, that healing was available, but they prayed and prayed and prayed and didn't see things happen initially. And then there was this breakthrough moment and they started coming. I mean, if you, mm -hmm. even John Wimber, you know what I mean? I've heard testimonies of like people like Todd White or, um, you know, just various people that I've read, you know, Smith Wigglesworth and different people. There, there's always this like, you know, the, there's this tension and this pressing into it and this perseverance that's necessary. And a lot of times that's what faith is. Faith is perseverance. I mean, we, you know, we're, Jesus taught us that, like, that we ought always to pray and never lose hope and never give up and keep pressing in and keep pressing in. There's an aspect of faith that is strengthened and, and grown when we persevere and, and, and press into a truth, maybe even when we don't even see it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that God is patient with us and seeks to train us, and we don't have to be perfect. I think for me, a while ago, I took a stand that I'd rather take a risk for God and be wrong than to miss him. Wow. And that makes you do things where you feel uncertain, <laughs> perhaps foolish, but there are times when that was just the exact word someone needed to hear. And so you learn to just listen to that nudge that God gives and go for it. And if you fall, you fall. It's not your reputation you have to protect because we're all going to be, I expect to be disciplined by the Lord and guided by the Lord as long as I live. And I expect to take risks for him. And so it's just part of, part of the Christian life. That's great. And I just wanted to also circle back to a comment about um, the stinginess uh, reputation that some people have of God. I think if you've been a parent, there used to be a store called Toys R Us, and my kids would save their money, you know, from chores or birthday money or whatever, and then we'd get in the car and we'd go to Toys R Us and then have their $20 or $30 to spend, and you see the packet, you see the the toy that's $40 and you want them, you see their hearts, they want that $40 toy, but they only have 30. But as a parent, you have to let them get the $30 gift, but your heart is always so much more for them. You want them to be delighted. So I picture God as that God who wants to give us even more than we can handle. His, one of his names is El Shaddai, the God, 
the all-sufficient one, and he's the one that provides for our needs even before we need we know it. Does he say no? Yes. He's not a vending machine, an ATM machine, what have <laughs> you. So he is a good God. He has, he knows what's best for us, but um, the stinginess part we need to back off of. I think sometimes it's a matter of being able to see God's goodness, because God's goodness is toward us in very little things. And if we just have that gratitude is our attitude kind of thing, then I think we'll see more of what he does, and we'll expect more from to see more of his goodness. And we'll see that his heart is not stingy at all. That's, that's the evil one wanting us to minimize the ability of God to move in our life. Wow, that's good. Yeah, I like to think about, you know, where are we going? What's our destination? And some, some people have cooked some weird stuff up when they, when they read and interpret the book of Revelation. But I love Revelation chapter 22. That's where we're going. And when we read that, we see, what do we see? We see everything subjected to Jesus. And the first five verses of that chapter, it says the tree of life, the tree of life that humanity was banned from in the garden, the tree of life, the leaves of it are healing for the nations, the, the river of life is flowing from the throne of God, that the, the curse, the stain of sin and death has been removed from creation. And so we see the generosity of God in that, and we know that that's our ultimate destination. And so we're taking the tools that Jesus gave us, the lenses Jesus gave us, and we're, we're fumbling for that, knowing that that's our end. That's, our, that's, that's where we end up. Well, before we get off this topic, I'm going to go to Josh on this, and I just want to ask you this question, because I'm going to be point blank. We've kind of talked about it a little bit, but why isn't everybody healed? I mean, if the kingdom of heaven is at hand, why don't we see healing every time we pray? Yeah, so that's one of those complexities yeah. that we've kind of got, we've got to get the right perspective on. And sometimes we, we, we misunderstand now and eternity. And so if we go back to the, the Greek word for healing, salvation, wholeness, um, deliverance, it's the Greek word sozo. And it's an all-encompassing word that means all of those things. And so we have to understand salvation in terms of eternity and healing in terms of eternity. When we say the prayer and we are born again, we are saved, you know? Yeah. From from now until all of eternity. That's what you know, those who confess will be saved. And and at the same time we have to understand healing through the lens of eternity. Because it's the same word, it's sozo. And so in eternity we will be completely whole. We will be healed though. There won't be you know, sickness, there won't be um, depression, there won't be any of those things in eternity. And so then between now and eternity, we don't always see, we see the working out of that wholeness and healing. Just as we see in the now, the working out of salvation. Right. It does, some days it doesn't look like I'm <laughs> saved, right? right. But, but I am in eternity. And might not see right now healing right now, but in eternity we will see it. And so getting the right perspective on those things and understanding that it is God's will to sozo, he is working that out in our lives, even if we haven't seen it yet. And so that's the hope that we hold on to, and it's 
what we live by every day and relationship. And, and if we don't live in relationship, it's super easy to question that. Right. Right? And that's mm -hmm. what the enemy wants to do. He wants to separate us from the love of God. He can't. But that's what he tries to do. And he tries to put in all these what ifs and buts and get us thinking this way or that way. But God's always turned towards us. He always desires relationship. And he's, he's working through everything. Sometimes we get that, that, that we get a wrong view of thinking that God uses everything for our good. The reality is that he's so for us that whatever the enemy sends at us and whatever life thing happens, he can work through that for our good. That's right. He's not using those things right. to teach us something, but he can turn. He can win with any hand. Yeah. <laughs> God can win with any hand. That's beautiful. That's awesome. So we, we've kind of hinted at this whole thing of like, hey, there's good and there's evil and, and, and there's some kind of thing, you know, battle taking place. Could, Josh, could you just expand on that a little bit and what that looks like and how we understand that with respect to the world around us and how we perceive others and what's happening all around us? Yeah, so... This idea in kingdom theology is there's, there's actually two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, you know, kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of darkness and the enemy. Hmm. And, and they're, they're at odds with each other. God isn't secretly using the kingdom of darkness to do his means. These things are actually against one another. And so, so to understand that, that we're caught in the middle of this this kingdom battle, this kingdom conflict, and the whole world is actually, in the earth is in subjection to this kingdom conflict, even as we speak, even though Jesus is king, and he, he has won the kingdom conflict, it's still a conflict. It's like, if you think about World War II, World War II ended, but in the Pacific, some people didn't hear that it ended, <laughs> and they kept fighting afterwards, and they didn't want to give up their, their ground that they had taken. And the enemy does this. He, he, he's already lost, but he doesn't want to give up the ground that oh, he's taken. Good. And so that. the kingdom of darkness is still at work. It's still at hand. And, and humanity can still give up parts of, of their thinking or parts of their authority to the enemy. But Jesus will ultimately, bring, when he comes back, will bring all of those things back into subjection to himself. Um, but, but we see this kingdom... Kingdoms in conflict, kingdom of light and kingdom of darkness, and, and, and it happens where the enemy tries to, to pull us into the kingdom of darkness by, by offering up lesser things. That's good. I, I love the story yeah. of, the, of the, the parable that Jesus teaches us about that. So when I think about these kingdoms in conflict, is the weeds and the tares, or the tares and the wheat, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you know, Jesus or the Son of God, he goes out and he sows the, the, the seed into the field, and, but then an enemy comes behind him, right? Has a will, has a desire, has a plan apart from what God's doing, right? It's not, not, not being orchestrated by God. It's totally, uh, you know, in the blindness of God, actually, if you think about it, like doing their own thing and sows the tares into the, into the field also. And then they come up and they see them, and then the angels say, hey, what should I do? Should we rip them out? He says, no, leave them there. For the time, and then we'll take care of this at the end. And I'm paraphrasing, but I'm just thinking about that. You know, the reality of this, of the, of you know, the the identity of of Satan and his schemes and his workings, right, contrary to the kingdom of God and what's happening on the earth. Yeah. yeah. 
So as Jesus went, you know, we talked about he's carrying the gospel of the kingdom, his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And he's going around to the regions in Jerusalem, and he's actually sending people ahead of him to declare that he's coming. (laughs) And we see this kingdom, you have to kind of have the lens of kingdom theology on to understand when they went in there, and then all these demons start manifesting, and all these sick people start coming out. It's because there's a displacement happening. The kingdom of darkness is being displaced by the kingdom of God wow. as Jesus comes in. And, and that continues. That's the ministry that's that he gives yeah. his followers. Yeah, that's good. Well, so, um, Parker, you know, Josh kind of unpacked this, this, this concept of this cosmic battle that's raging and taking place, and I hear you on that, and I'm going to paraphrase some things. So I hear that Satan is real and that there's this battle that's raging, so with that mindset, shouldn't we be careful not to attack him and you know, fight against him because he may like, attack my family or attack my workplace or attack my friends or something like that? I mean, shouldn't that kind of be our mindset? We should be careful in terms of this and how we enter into this fight? Yeah, right. Well, you know, this might, I mean, depending on what you've heard about this throughout the course of your life, there are different perspectives on this question, and people think differently about this. But what I would say is from the perspective of kingdom theology and from the perspective that we see that Jesus has and that his followers have, um, we can get wrapped up in being afraid of spiritual things in general. We can get wrapped up in over-spiritualizing our lives, and, and we can constantly be on the defense and constantly be on the lookout for something that you know Satan might be doing to us, right? And we hear people all the time concerned with, you know, the um, the transference of spirits and different things like that. And, and you know, I don't I don't intend to to mock that or to belittle that that perspective. But what I want to do is just propose another idea to to kind of push back on that yeah, a little like bit. That. And so the way that I like to think about this is, you know, there's there's different worldviews that we can look at and label. And Debbie, I think, is actually going to address this some in in the fifth week of this series. So we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but one of the things that that we can, one of the ways that we can interpret what's going on around us is what we call naturalism. Naturalism is just this idea that, you know, we can, everything can kind of be explained with the scientific method. The only thing that's real or legitimate is the here and now and kind of what we can see, taste, touch, hear, you know, that, that idea. And then on the other side, we have a worldview that we call spiritism. And spiritism is just this concept that like there is a spirit connected to everything. And everything is, you know, there's just this constant barrage of spiritual activity that we have to be on the lookout for and we have to be aware of and we have to, you know, uh, kind of be mindful of. And I think that the worldview of Jesus lives somewhere in between these two things. It's like in the vineyard, we like to say the radical middle. It's the radical middle between right. naturalism and spiritism. And we can wig ourselves out if we get concerned about what Satan's going to do because we're living in our assignment. We're living in our kingdom assignment. And so my, my, my word would just be to not let yourself get so wrapped up in fear, right? Because a lot of this stuff stems from fear, the concern about you know, what's the enemy going to do because I prayed for somebody out here, you know, this day or that day, or what kind of uh, problems are we going to come up against in our home because, 
you know, we're, we're Christians, we're praying people, we can almost start to find things around us and interpret them through that lens and, and, and see stuff that maybe isn't there, make more of something than really is just because we're, we're afraid. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to extend the kingdom. And don't be afraid of what the enemy is going to do because at the end of the day, like, Jesus has won. You know, you mm-hmm. talk about this, like, it's like D-Day and V-E Day. The decisive victory in this mm-hmm. battle between these two kingdoms happened on the cross. And everything that's, that's left over is just this, these little pockets of the, the created order that haven't quite come under the lordship of Jesus. And so mm-hmm. we're, we're just we're pursuing taking those things back. And, and that's not an assignment that we do in fear or with timidity or mm-hmm. tentativeness. Yeah, yeah, I think Jesus explains how to combat um, confrontations with Satan by using his word. And so I think that's a part of a training for every believer is to know what to do and how to handle those situations. Um, if you need a word picture, I can picture you've got your own home, you've got your yard, but maybe your neighbor's dog bites. And if he's in your yard, you're going to shoo him away. You're going to tell him, go home. And, but we're not supposed to run after his, this biting dog to confront it. But if it's in your property, in your space, you have the authority to knock that out of your yard. So I think that's one position to take. And then I think part of John's question earlier was like, what about you know, like not entering into something because it's risky? What about not becoming a pastor? Because if you're a pastor, you're a target for right. Satan. And I think the point there is we're going to deal with evil no matter where we are, what we do. But it's better to be following God and following the calling on your life with Satan on your heels than to not. So that's not a reason to not enter into the fullness of our calling um, because it's something to deal with anyway. Yeah, I love that. I think of this, the, the verse that says, greater is he that is in me, Holy Spirit, yes. than he that is in this world, obviously the enemy, mm-hmm. right? So the Holy Spirit, I mean, and when it comes to Satan and the Holy Spirit, it ain't even a match. That's right, exactly. I mean, like, let's just get that all squared away. I mean, yes, there, he has power, but he has power what was, has been given to him by us as people into the earth. And that any kind of agreements that we've made with him or the lies that we have, you know what I mean, that we've believed. But greater is he, Holy Spirit, in us than he that is in this world. And so, you know, fear and partnering with fear should never be a motivation when it comes to Satan. We do, and I think there is a, there's an aspect of listening and following. And if Holy Spirit says go, I don't care how dark it is, we go. That's right. You know what I mean? And if Holy Spirit says don't go, <laughs> you know, then we don't go. Right? Sure. I, mean, I mean, that's key because there are moments where Holy Spirit says, hey, you're heading down a dark path there. There's something down there that the enemy has for you. And I've seen so many times where Holy Spirit protected me and said, don't go. Right? And I, you know, no, I'm not going to go because, you know, no, I'm not going to rage forward but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk in obedience. And that's what Jesus did. He walked in obedience. There was a time, you know, there was a time where he didn't go up into Jerusalem, right? There was a moment where he didn't go, and then he went later, you know. But then there was a time when he went to Jerusalem, and he stood his ground, and he was crucified. And so there's moments for that. And how do we know that's where we partner with Holy Spirit? And does that take learning? Absolutely. 
Am I perfect in that? Is there, are we perfect in that? No. no. You know, and I'm learning every day. And this is a constant journey of walking. You know, Paul said, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The key to the Christian life is not a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's about listening and following and partnering with Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's right. I think there are places where people have, you know, come up with a lot of like rules and, you know, ways that Satan works and ways that these de- this demon and that demon and, you know, whatever. And I think sometimes if we get in the weeds on that stuff, you know, I mean, let's just be honest, we got to be able to hold it up against the life and teaching of Jesus. And if we don't see it there, then it's, it's anecdotal, it's coming from somebody's experience, and it may or may not be good advice, but we have to be able to return to, you know, like we say, the main and the, main and the plain, right? The main and the plain of what did Jesus teach about praying for healing? What did Jesus teach about spiritual warfare and and we begin there and if we get confused or if we're like i'm not sure you know should i trust this or that return to the ministry of jesus check it against that i'll give you one on this i'm just gonna to bring this down into like a real practical like here's one it's hard to cast out demons Mm. like i mean that's a lie who told you that like who told us that but i mean i i believe that I, I believe that at one point in my life, you know, until I started to enter in and I had to change my thinking and go, no, it's easy to cast out demons, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and honestly, in my experiences, and I'm not saying that, I mean, there are spiritual battles and I'm not, sure. you know, there's ones that are harder than others and I'm not saying that. But in my journey, you know, that I've walked through so far, you know, my spiritual encounters where I'm encountering demonic activity and stuff like that, man, it's been, I'm just like, whoa, you know? It's, it's actually easier than we think, you know, and the enemy has convinced us that we don't have the power, right. that it is hard, you know, that these things, but uh, we have to challenge them. I'm, I'm bringing that up because it's really rooted in a lie. Our yeah. powerlessness or our weakness or our frailty in the kingdom is because we've actually partnered with a lie of the enemy concerning what he can do, and we haven't agreed with the fact that greater is he that is in us mm-hmm. than he that is in this world, and we're in this process of being transformed by the renewing of our mind and how we think and perceive ourselves and those around us and the situations that we come into. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, when you say that at one point you believed it was hard to cast out demons, my guess is that at some point, someone or something made you believe that you had to set the mood just right and you had to pray exactly the right, you know, these words exactly. You have to pray these scriptures and this. And, and what we see in Jesus is that he emphasizes the, the, the important thing is to walk in an understanding of our identity and authority and to be living a life of partnership and relationship with the Father and that bringing freedom to the captives comes from that place, right. not from a place of knowing the magic words and being able to set the right mood so that the demons will come out. Right. That's good. Yeah, just to comment on that, like I think... The enemy uses verses, because the enemy knows scripture, he knows things. Um, he uses verses like, uh, I think it's Mark 9, when um, the disciples try to cast out the demon and then it won't come out, and then Jesus comes. It's like, oh. Right. He's actually kind of frustrated with the disciples, and he's like, have you a little faith? Like, you should be able to do this. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was the and expectation. Said, right? and, then, and then something gets added on, I think, in Matthew or and maybe in Mark it says only this kind comes out only through prayer and fasting. But if you kind of read through the lines, you know, in between the lines there, think about Jesus in the desert, right? Praying and fasting. Showing his relationship with the Father, engaging most intensely with his relationship with the Father. And that's 
how he, he withstood the enemy. He, he, his identity was, was established, and, and he walked it out That's right. in that place of relationship. And so we need to understand, again, the kingdom is relational. And so any time we say, oh, man, I can't cast this thing out or it's hard, well, who are you? you got to get back to your relationship. Like yeah. When you know who, who you're connected to, know that he's the king of all, he has all the authority, and, and you're one with him, then that's not even a question. Right. This thing has nothing on, on that. On the same hand, you think about, I think it's Mark 9 or 10, when Jesus sends out the 70, they come back and say, it's working. Mm-hmm. We're casting the demons out in your name. And Jesus said, says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. They said, don't rejoice in that you're even casting out demons. Rejoice that you're in a relationship with me. That's so good. Yes. I love that. So it's all about relationship. Yes. It's all about relationship. Yeah. That's Come good. on. So true. Well, I'm gonna, I want to ask one final question, and I want every person to answer this if we could here. And um, Debbie, we're going to start with you. And is this, so what impact has kingdom th- theology had on you personally? If you could like describe that in a few words. Well, what has, as you, we've, we've talked about this for the last few um, minutes here and I, I just mm-hmm. I'm curious for you personally what has what impact has it had on your life I think it's a challenging um, word to just ask for the kingdom of God in your life um, it's saying I want the whole package mm. of God I want all that God has and is and it's embracing that um, it's a good challenge. It's, it's where we all want to be. So that's the exciting part of it. Um, I think of an example. Um, well, maybe I should wait on that. But the, um, the aspect of just embracing the kingdom of God is so critical, I think, to living a full life in Christ. So Fullness of life. That's good. I love yeah. that. Okay, this is what I was going to say. At the cross, the word was for Jesus that it was for joy that Jesus endured the cross. And I used to think, and I think this was true, this is not untrue, that Jesus was thinking of you, he was thinking of me when he endured the cross. But the other thing he was, he, he was thinking of the kingdom of God coming to us and being a delivery for the kingdom of God to us. So that was the other side of the joy, I think, that Jesus was um, enduring the cross for, was for looking for bringing his whole kingdom, his whole kingdom right. to us and just, just being pleased and satisfied in heart that the fullness of God comes to us. So anyway, I just want what God has for me, and I just believe the kingdom of God is the way to put words to that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. We're going to go this way. How about you, Josh? Like, What impact has it on, ha, had on you personally? I mean, yeah, it's just, it's just understanding God from a whole new lens of, of he's for me, and he's working... Working to bring about his authority and his desires into every sphere, 
and it's his story and I get to be part of it. I'm a, I'm a side character. <laughs> it's his story. Yeah. But like he loves that I'm in it and wants me to be part of it and has things for me to do in, 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 in a specific and unique way to bring about his kingdom and for each of us to, 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 exp- to display the kingdom and who the king is and then to do the works that he has for us. He, he has good works for us. And so it's, yeah, it's going beyond the door. It's, it's going into the fullness of everything, life in the way of Jesus. And it just it transforms every part of you. The more you think about it, you just get undone. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's so good. I feel like the theology of the kingdom of God is it, it really embraces tension. And, you know, one of the things that I think is so great about it is that the kingdom, the kingdom is coming immediately and the kingdom will be delayed. And it, it provides a framework for when we see it happen and when we don't see it happen. Right. And it provides a framework for us to, to partner with God to see it happen. It's a long for it to happen and to not be confused and dismayed when it doesn't. And, you know, even when I think about my own walk with the Lord and my own discipleship, and I think about salvation, Paul in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 writes, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, right? And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And some people look at that and they say, there it is, case closed, right? Call, call on Jesus and you'll be saved. And that's what it means to, to be a follower of his. And then James, in his letter, he says, you know, what good is it if someone says that they have faith but not, not works? Can faith save you? He even raises that question, can faith save you? And this is a conundrum if we're, not, if we're not thinking about this through the lens of the kingdom of God. Because we don't know how to handle this. We have to throw one of them out. But the truth is that, you know, Paul's writing about the effect of your faith. The effect of your faith is that you've been saved. And James is writing about the quality of your faith. The quality of faith in the kingdom is that you produce good works, you produce fruit. And, and I believe that those are the kind of disciples that Jesus is after. And that's, what, that's the life that Jesus is calling us into, is, is a life where we embrace the quality of faith, where we've, we've passed through the end time judgment and we're, we're seated with him, right? But then at the same time, that, that quality of that faith is that we partner with him to, to bring the kingdom, to usher it in on the earth, and we long to see the future in the present. That's so good. Yeah, I think, for me personally, I think it's this invitation into this great adventure. Like the kingdom of God is this great adventure. And when I read, when I first read it, I was like, yes. I said yes. And I saw it. And I longed for it. But I didn't have any kind of reality of that. You know what I'm saying? And, and, And I had some some ideas about that that were a little bit skewed and and like for example you know I saw it there and I'm like well why isn't it happening here and so then I started you know down into the well you know God's holding back or you know uh, you know and, and I started questioning the goodness of God and I think kingdom theology settled in my heart that God is good and that was so important yeah I mean I, I can't the reality of that and the you can never stop meditating on the goodness of God and the love of God and that God enjoys being with me. Like just that thought alone just is radically transforming. 
and it's changed me. And so that God is that that God is for me. And now I have a context, and I quit blaming Him for situations, and I start putting the blame on the enemy instead of blaming God. Right when circumstances don't go my way, or we we see things happening around us, and so I have a framework for processing evil and processing sickness and processing disease and all those things. And not only that, I get a framework of that, but I also get this invitation to enter in to change it. Yeah. Like, I mean, the kingdom, uh, the kingdom theology says, no, you can actually change that circumstance. Mm-hmm. You can actually be a part and partner. If you partner with me, you can actually see that radically transformed. And my will of healing and deliverance and freedom and, and love and joy, all that can be released if you learn how to partner with me and you know for the breaking into the kingdom and it's just like this great adventure that we get to be on you know and all of a sudden life becomes you're just like it's like the wow you know and not only that but it it takes my religion or my theology if you will and brings it down into the practical where I actually get to yeah. get to see it like I see the kingdom break out right. I see it in your life and I see it over here and I see it there and it's 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 no not only a theology or a belief but I actually see it experientially yeah. around me and I just that's so good. You know, I would go so far as to say kingdom theology is the only theology that can be practiced. <laughs> right. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I would agree with you. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up. I appreciate your time. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your comments. Thanks, yeah. Debbie, and enduring with us men, right? I mean, we've we got to get more women on the on, on here, but that but it was great having you. We, we, it was great to be here. Yeah. Josh fun. and Parker. So with that, we're going to close. Thanks. Sweet.